Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. This week we are discussing the seventh episode of Twin Peaks, Realization Time. It is directed by Caleb Deschanel, who is Zoe Deschanel's dad. Oh, really? Uh, yes. It was written by Harley Payton, and it first aired May 17th, 1990. In this episode, we see Waldo essentially serving as the first real witness to the crime uh, surrounding Laura Palmer's death, uh, after which he's immediately murdered. Um, Waldo is. Audrey enmeshes herself even more deeply into the investigation and the surrounding events. Uh, Cooper and Ed go undercover at One-Eyed Jack's. Donna, James, and Maddie execute an elaborate scheme to break into Dr. Jacoby's office. And Catherine realizes that her double-cross is getting double-crossed. Yep. Those are the big beats, I think. Yeah, that seems about what's going on. Yeah. Um, this episode starts... Oh, I, I was, go ahead. Before that, just I, like it's worth pointing out that um, if you're watching these online or in a box set or something, you're probably just burning through all of these. But this episode is the episode right before the season finale. Mm, true. And I think that's worth noting just because this episode feels like there's a ton of setup. Like a lot of plot mm-hmm. threads end up having a big turn in them that's setting themselves up for something. Mm-hmm. And that's because next week is the end of the first season. Yeah, it's true. A lot of stuff <laughs> gets real in this episode, right? I mean, yep. the... I think most, God, I guess a lot of things, I guess we'll end up talking about each of these in turn, but the, uh, all that stuff at one eyed Jack's feels pretty serious, right? right. The fact Everyone's- that Audrey's there as, uh, Cooper and Ed are undercover up there. The fact that all of this mill stuff, which has been in getting increasingly complex. Now, Catherine just straight up knows and we saw a million dollar Josie insurance with policy on her Hank. life. Yeah. Which, like, it's Which on is, tonight. That's got to be something. Right? Yeah. And then, uh, I guess the third thing is that we have this crazy vertigo situation going on with Maddie and uh, right. Dr. Jacob. I mean, this that's like she a. She colored her hair. Colored her hair. <laughs> that, is, that is a crazy thing. Yeah. <laughs> to just come out of, not nowhere, but suddenly to be thrown into the mix one episode, the episode before the yep. season finale. So you can imagine if you were watching the show in, you know, 1990. Right. Or whenever it was, 91? It was 90. 90. This, this week would have been a big deal, for sure. Yep. Uh, also, poor Waldo. Also, poor us, because I just noticed, looking at Wikipedia, that season two... Mm-hmm. I had thought that season two started the numbering over again. It doesn't. Season two, episode one, is also known as episode nine. Oh. So, episode ten, also known as episode nine, also known as episode one, is what we're going to be getting into uh, <laughs> two episodes from now, so... <laughs> prepare yourselves for that um yeah yes also next week's episode i'm just getting ahead of myself because i'm all excited about the next two next week's episode is written and directed by mark frost and then 201 is the next episode that is directed by lynch and written by both of them yeah that's exciting but anyway this episode crazy setup and Mm -hmm. some and some business definitely um i did you notice that this episode uh, am I remembering correctly that the previous episode opened with a shot of the full red moon? Yeah, it because had that weird episode, out of focus shot that sort of came into yeah, focus. This episode also starts with a full close shot of the moon. In this case, it's not a red moon, and it's sort of a half or slightly more than half hmm. moon. But I thought it was interesting that two episodes in a row opened with that choice. I would call that a continuity error. Why, why error? Oh, because the moon wouldn't have been able to change yeah, that, that much? In Twin like, Peaks, crazy stuff happens. Let's explain <laughs> how true. the phase of the moon is totally different, even though it's like <laughs> that same night. Yeah. Uh, I got some questions for David Lynch when he comes on the show. Man, that didn't even occur to me when I was watching. <laughs> it didn't actually. until right now either. Uh, 
Um, okay, so after that moon bit, um, we're we're back to Audrey and Cooper's room in the last episode, and he and he he douses her, uh, her intentions hopes. pretty yes. pretty pretty easily. Yeah. I mean, in a way that she is seems almost grateful for. Yeah, I, I would say, um, which is nice. Uh, you know, he says secrets are a dangerous thing, Audrey, and she asks, "Do you have any?" And he just says, "No," which I really like. Yep. Um, because you could imagine that in a very similar character in a different show or movie, him wanting to maintain that mystique, but he actually, although he is very familiar with moving in worlds of kind of obviously danger and shadow, he himself has no, he really is kind of an open book at least comes off that way. Most of the time. Um, we are finally back into the Andy Lucy kind of doghouse subplot. Nothing really happens with it. Um, Right. No. Yeah. Lucy gets a call from a doctor. The mm-hmm. next scene. Like, right. That's it. Yeah. So, so that, that's, I guess, a little more set up it, in kind of a B, B plot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after that, we are, we see, this is where we see Waldo. Oh, this is, wait a minute. We're missing a key step here, which is are Cooper we? enters the police station and his whistle has now been modified oh, to play right. multiple notes. Yes, you're right so about that. So that's all. Let's just follow the truth. I actually wrote that down and forgot to mention The it. most important storyline of Twin Peaks is yes. the evolution of that the little penny whistle. whistle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's really happy the that, whistle. He's really happy that he plays a couple notes. Anyway, yeah. The whistled Waldo. whistle is a Lost Hardy Boys novel, by yes. the way. Um, okay, so, yes. After that, uh, Dr. Hayward is sort of giving an analysis of Waldo. Um, we get confirmation that Waldo was the being that scratched Laura Palmer. Uh, the being? I, you know, I mean, I was going to say thing, Who's person. the creature? Animal, the creature. The um, guy, Wal- it was the life form. Uh, Waldo's just saying, Laura, Laura. Um, and then he's not, though. At the beginning, Waldo's not talking at all. He's not a talking at all, but in this, you know, I mean, they, oh, you mean in they Waldo- start feeding him, they, you know, they, they get him back up to uh, peak imitating condition or, you know, mimicking condition. Yeah. And then he starts, he starts saying, Don't, Laura, don't go there. Hurting me hurting me stop it stop it leo no leo no yep so that uh and then he gets shot yeah that whole man so the the waldo like arc is yeah. probably my favorite part of the episode other than like a couple very specific scenes mm-hmm. because again like i've 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 postulated this in the past but it feels like if twin peaks was a series of post-it notes before it was shot <laughs> it feels like all the waldo scenes were the ones that were stuck up on the board early right so they're had all idea, like, and then it survived the whole yeah where they're like yeah. feeding that bird and uh right. <laughs> doc walks out of the room and he's just like these grapes are right on the edge yeah uh, that was such an odd like that that line is so odd to me because i, I don't that, understand it's like, what it's supposed to convey they're, all, they're about to go bad like they're great yeah, no, I, like, I know i, I know but it's, it's such a good like weird little like yeah. personable line but then it just dives into the most like cheesy inky noir for the for the Waldo mm-hmm. scene where it's like yeah. the storms out. It's got those <laughs> it, like like Coen Brothersy lighting almost where it's hyper saturated but super pitted shadows of the of the rows and rows of donuts and the slow pan up to Waldo starting to talk and then because Waldo starts to talk the tape recorder starts to go. Oh man, that's everything that I like. Like True. that's everything. Oh yeah, because like. it's got the voice activation. Yeah, because Cooper said it. The voice activates. So Classic goes, feature. You just hear like yeah. Laura. Yeah. Tape recorder on. Like oh man, it's going yep. down. Yep. And then yep. immediately shot. Oh, 
Like, all that needs is for there to just be a blinking huge neon sign outside. And it's just, like, the most, like, <laughs> cheesy, like, noir moment of all time. But that whole scene, when they then come back in mm-hmm. and the storm is still going and Cooper rewinds the tape. And the things on the tape are also are, are good. Like, the first clip is Truman oh, just saying, that. they shot Waldo. And then it goes yeah. back and it's yep. Lucy being like, oh, do you want an orange or I something? Know, that was really, yep. Yeah, and she kind of looks awkward. <laughs> She's like, you want an orange? We can share it. Or yep. something, something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then it rolls all the way back to just, like, the craziest yeah. stuff, of the, like, to the bird incriminating Leo. But, like, all that stuff... Like that tape playback scene with the storm mm-hmm. and the dead bird with the blood splattered all over the donuts and yep. the wacky dialogue and the fact that they're all, they're first ever confirmed like in quotes recording from the crime scene like the first witness is yeah. a talking bird like ah oh, all of that stuff is just is yep. just like super strong yes it's really good and I agree with you I love the way that they my my favorite little thing that you already mentioned is is how they include Truman. Yeah, just you know, like the audio from just, just a second a, ago, from one like, second ago, oh, they shot Waldo. Yeah, they shot Waldo. Like, it's, oh, it's so good. It's so good because one, it's it's hilarious. It's just a gag. It's a gag. Yeah. But it also that whole string of extra crap you have to hear before you hear the real thing really does actually make it more tense because yeah. the, there's it's so well, cuz you're like what's going to be on the tape Cooper doesn't just get to it right away you're like okay yeah, yeah we know that part okay that's this part yeah, with Lucy okay, is now what we want to hear come on get to the part where Waldo yeah. says crazy shit yeah. it's really good yeah that whole like ah, I love that it plays all that stuff 100% straight including mm-hmm, earlier when Leo's got his uh, scope trained on Bobby and then he hears a thing like here's Lucy's going oh it's a bird that can talk and he's like oh shit and gets <laughs> yeah. in his car and drives yep, away he, uh, yeah he he's, immediately he's just like I got to kill that bird I'm like <laughs> oh, okay also that is a thing that I star witness yeah that as much of a dipshit as Leo is and as as much as the performance of that character is not the most subtle um I do like how how consistent and therefore kind of believable his internal unflappability is right i mean he's obviously incredibly unstable as a person right you know especially in his relationship where he's just an utter monster but i'd like that he's engaged in this act of pure vengeance right he's sitting in his car with his gun he wants to shoot bobby for you know obviously why he does and then he gets this call about this bird, and there was not even really a second right, was like, of hesitation. Kill that bird right instantly now. Instantly, put rifle bird gonna go eat, Birds gonna eat shit. Ignore the fact that there might be someone sleeping with my wife in my house right now. Fuck it. Right, killing yep. that killing talking that bird. bird. <laughs> yep. So I, I appreciate that that moment. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, you know, we see that that Leo's still alive. Uh, for yeah. one thing, I mean, yeah, that's left on certainly unknown at the end of the previous episode. Yep. And uh, in Shelley's. Um, I will say, who's the woman who plays Shelley? Is I don't that, remember the name of the actress. Is that Mad Genomic? I always forget who, who's actually who in that whole string of of actors at the beginning of the episode. Right. Um, but her, uh, like her recounting of that, it is Mad Genomic. Yeah, I'm sure I'm pronouncing it incorrectly. Her recounting of it is so brutal. Yeah, uh, I really, really. Her, it was especially funny compared compared to Bobby's just shitty shit-eating constant presence like it's just play, sneer face yeah just yeah. sneer face even in that situation his dumb performance yeah. compared to hers ma- makes her that that whole scene come off incredibly to me yeah no it, it was funny when when she was saying that stuff my my brain was going back to how what we've talked about about how in twin peaks characters often end up feeling they have to just 
recount, like they have to do retroactive exposition. Mm-hmm. And this scene kind of was that because it was her literally describing, yeah, literally, like, yes. he was screaming like an animal and all these right. things. But the way she said the lines and the way the performance came out, it was actually even more intense than that scene, which was yes. already crazy I, no, last no, episode I, because of I Leo's totally scream. Agree. Yeah. You know? No, for sure. Man, yeah. Bobby always looks like he smells something confusing and he's <laughs> mad about it. <laughs> always. Yep, it's true. Um, so do you want to uh, – we can probably move on from this. Yeah, we can jump. Um, next – do you want to talk about Audrey? Audrey's whole thing starting at work. They're smoking in her boss's office and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, so she, yeah, she. Man, more noiry shit in this episode, I guess. Like, I know there really is. Yeah, there's actually a, a reader mail about this. We can read it later, okay. but um, about just noir stuff in general. Uh, but yeah, I love that she walks into the office. Clearly knows what what she's intending to do. Picks up a cigarette, cigarette and then hides in the closet. Hides in the closet while smoking the cigarette. I was waiting for that to give her away or something. Like right. I'd forgotten how that scene played out. And yeah, I was like, totally. is there going to be smoke coming out of the slats? Like, were this actually a Coen Brothers movie? Someone would just smoke a cigarette just because they do, then get caught in the closet. Mm-hmm. And then that cigarette smoke would mean that, like, three people die for no reason. But yeah. uh, right. in this case, Audrey <laughs> just looks moody as all hell with the yep. light from the slats coming through and her cigarette mm-hmm. there. Like... All, Audrey's whole play to sort of she overhears the conversation at the perfume counter, listens in, get uh, on her boss re- really creepily recruiting her coworker uh, for One Eye Jacks, and then getting the business card off her. Like Audrey plays that perfectly mm-hmm. as far as like yep. amateur detective goes. It's weird that that just works in all ways, but her smoking the cigarette in the middle of all of it uh, was kind of the icing on the cake. Yeah, for sure. Aud- Audrey is um, particularly competent this episode sort of Ex- there's like a big exception to right that. yeah yeah okay so do we uh, want to so just jump to that yeah, well, let's, yeah let's do it so she gets the she gets the number of blackie right who i guess we now learn that's short for black rose yep um who we've met before uh she gets that number from jenny through this this uh through creepy scheme yeah. and she she goes to one-eyed jacks to try and get a job as one of these so-called hospitality girls, right. you know, in her ongoing uh, self-directed investigation. But the way she does that it's is like to a make high school up, kid, like yeah, trying to like, this is what you do. Guileless, yeah. Like you're just kind of a prostitute here. You don't have a resume like that. Maybe you do, but like it was, that was, but hilarious. she can't back hers up in the slightest. Yeah. I mean, no, it falls apart instantly. <laughs> and she, she chooses the name Hester Prynne, yep. a reference to the scarlet letter, which she probably read in 10th grade English. Yeah, exactly. Which, well, which Blackie then immediately says, look, I read the, I read the I read letter in high school. school too. Yeah. Like, just like you did. Um, which is, which is a good moment because one, it would have been absurd, right? For, for the show to just let that go. And for that right. to have actually, you know, she would have gotten found out eventually, but I'm glad she got found out instantly without a single moment of doubt. Yep. Um, and I also like that her kind of, inherent snobbish assumption that a woman who works as you know i guess like a madam essentially yeah. at this at this house of of uh prostitution i like her that her implicit assumption that she would not be cultured enough to know who hester Prynne is right is just immediately demolished right yeah right because it's kind of it's kind of insulting um and this episode presents a really really conflicting picture which I guess makes sense because she's a teenager of Audrey's general level of life experience and worldliness. She makes a really big point more than any of the other high school characters on this show to come off 
as mysterious and deep right. and that she has all of she she knows something that no one else knows it's unclear to, if that's actually true this is also though the first situation that we've seen audrey operating outside of a situation where she's in control of everything when she's in the great northern when she's in horn department store it's true but those areas are all the places where someone her age would have the potential to be in control of, of anything right you know i mean her her so much of her personal kind of mystique and and reputation is built on this implication that she actually has a much more worldly understanding of things right. than her but then she actually steps into do, the real adult not. world and drowns immediately right but then she comes the back. only exception being she has this hilarious goofy cocktail trip trick with the with the the right. cherry stem uh that that <laughs> instantly actually does get her a job um which which creates the sense that she must have just sat around practicing that thing for for exactly this kind of eventuality i would imagine right i think it's just the novelty that you pick up going to a diner or something yeah but i but i mean her implication in doing the trick yeah, is that course. oh i must be so experienced or i wouldn't be able to do this but that's obviously right. Not the case. No. Um, so, it also made me think that she might have just had a chance of getting hired anyway because they probably don't care about your resume. They're yeah, like, oh, you want to do this yes, job? Okay, exactly, yeah, you can right. have this yes. terrible job. For sure. Um, um, so uh, anyway, let's move on to uh, to the diner. Hank starts working. I want to mention one really stupid thing about this scene. They have a soup of the day board, mm-hmm. and the soup of the day is very vegetable. Which I... <laughs> It's a Blu-ray special for you. Yeah, it was yet another case of just the way that the, the diner seems to just be the land of weird, accidental, or maybe intentional jokes and close-up shots. Right. Uh, there, I couldn't help but notice very vegetable. So Hank gets Ed's name out of Shelley by kind of pretending that he that he actually does know about the guy who comes around all the time. Um, right where he says Pete, he's like, "Oh, Pete, who is it? Pete? Is it Pete?" Uh, Shelley lets slip that it's, oh, it's um, Big Ed. It's Big Ed. Uh, I watched this with with Sarah this week, and she pointed out that it seemed kind of un, kind of implausible that um, that Shelley would let that slip because there's that whole scene, I guess, last episode where Shelley and Norma are talking about how they both have, you know, all yep. these extra men in their lives. Yeah, and um, Shelly specifically was like, have you told Hank that you're leaving right. for so, Ed? Yeah, yeah, so she knows that... Yeah, there's a few sort of motivational slips in this episode I've, that that weirded me out. Like, it's, And they're all small like that. Yeah. But like, um, when Jerry tells Ben that he told the Icelanders, the Icelandic people, about One-Eyed Jacks, and Ben was like, who told them about One-Eyed Jacks? And it's like, yeah. what? Yeah, didn't you discuss? It's like, didn't that? you last week or the week before, like... Right. Make a sassy face where you cover one eye and talk right. about exactly how you're <laughs> yeah. going to bring them there. Like, yep, yeah. That, that I I also thought that was strange. Yeah, um, which could just mean that these are written concurrently and they just weren't checked enough. Mm-hmm. It could just be the result of of this kind of um, individual writer and director style of, of yeah, you know, television show at the time. Um, or there's a deeper meaning. There's probably not. Oh. Truman comes in to put Hank on notice in that scene. Uh, and as they're about to leave, Cooper gives him this whole little soliloquy about every day, once a day, give yourself a present. <laughs> Could be a new shirt from the men's store, a nap, two black cups of coffee, 
then they drink some coffee end of scene yeah of course um there's a there's another invitation to love in this episode uh it's a strong one it's as a well. good one yeah chet shoots montana um and the thing that's great about it is that it's revealed that nadine is the one watching invitation to love yep and she is cheering chet on yep. nadine is a big chet booster yep. and montana is the guy is the hank like character right from or I, I guess hank or leo like character from <laughs> the last episode Nadine, the, he has an, you show him chet yep you show all of them yep <laughs> It's so good. And and the so that continues, actually. I love this scene. Okay, this scene is mainly about Nadine's um, drape runner thing and how she... She's having trouble getting a patent attorney to, to follow their like thing. Yeah, whatever. Nothing. I don't care about it really at all. Except that this whole... That Ed tries to encourage her and reassure her. He's saying, Nadine, don't you give up. Don't you dare. And the whole time they're having this conversation, they have retained... All of the incredibly melodramatic music from the right. soap opera in the background with these big string swells. And this it, it's amazing. It's an incredible moment where Ed is giving Nadine this sort of canned hopefulness, right? Right. And then in the background, there is actual soap opera music that you would play over that exact yep. scene in that soap opera. Do you know if Bad Lamenti did the music to Invitation to Love as well? I don't know the answer to that. I bet he did. I suspect that he did. I imagine so, yeah. Um, really important news. Pete got a new fish. <laughs> what do you mean? Got a new fish. He got a taxidermy. He caught it and he oh, had it, right. he, you know, he had it stuffed and he's going to put it on his wall. True. I hope that that storyline continues with additional <laughs> fish. Um, yeah. So on that Truman is over at, at Pete and Josie's place. <laughs> uh, he asks her about being a motel. She immediately tries to lie to him before admitting that she was surveying Ben and Catherine. Yep, which is sort of the beginning of the catch-up on the Mill storyline, yes. which goes completely bananas yeah, this week. Yeah, totally bonkers. I, I like that this finally just went into a crazy thing, because we've spent basically the entire season getting drip-fed all of these yep. different relationships and, and well, double crosses, and then finally Catherine is visited with that that life insurance salesman shows up yes. and says oh, oh we're missing one signature for this new policy taken out in your name which goes into effect tonight yeah it's like <laughs> i also you're missing one signature you're missing the signature of the person the policy is taken out well, the, the guy says specifically that he withheld that page the salesman says yeah i thought this was a little weird right and then she, of course, plays it totally cool. Like, mm -hmm. oh. She plays uh, it totally cool, but with a wink. And you get the sense the guy might be picking up a little bit of what well, she's like. Yeah, well, because she says, oh, there's a couple are you, are details. You an ambitious man. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it's, it starts with her being a little more cautious. And then, she's, and then she starts like. Yeah. It's, which sounds like there's maybe a counterplay in play with mm -hmm. this. Like, what a. I'm. I had kind of forgotten how convoluted that storyline gets, but I like that it gets convoluted in the way of just a million ridiculous double crosses. Like yeah. this is just going on at least as of right now, independently of the rest of Twin Peaks. Right. This has this has little to nothing to do with the Laura Palmer storyline. Right. This would be happening whether Laura Palmer Palmer was killed or not. Right. Um the only I guess the only thing the only effect it has is that Laura Palmer's death indirectly led right. to the Pete, initial like, Ghostwood sale right. being uh, And canned. the police are sniffing around these true. characters in part because that's, Pete found the body because true. because, sure. you yes. know. But it's definitely tangentially related, not directly. Yes. Um so uh Catherine also realizes that her her the, after this, she it prompts her to go find the hidden 
ledger, falsified ledger, or I guess real ledger. Um, yep. Which is which has been taken. I liked like that moment was really small and simple, but her just saying think, yes, think no, to no, herself, she, and then yes. getting up and doing it like it was over the entire course of the mill storyline because this is a storyline whose resolution I've kind of forgotten. Um, I've I've kind of been having trouble latching on mentally to who, if anyone, is the protagonist of of the <laughs> right. mill storyline, and I don't know if yeah. anyone is, but like. It's feeling increasingly like Catherine is the one who's actually getting totally hosed in whatever's going on here. Yes. And that moment was a total, like... Mm-hmm. She comes off as extremely human, even though she's... She's been doing her own she, crazy yeah, shenanigans. They, none of these people are right. noble in their in their aims at all. But just because she happens to be the one yeah. who's getting the, the unexpectedly raw end of the deal, and because... Uh, who is it? Uh, Piper Laurie? Because she plays it so well she comes off as very human in that yeah moment. it's really good it's yeah. a really good moment yeah um so after this uh well i don't even know what's after this anymore but the, <laughs> the next thing i guess i want to talk about is cooper and ed meeting up to go pull off i guess their sort of sting operation oh up yeah at the, up at this in the episode tracks. is sort of intercut with some of the yeah, this mill stuff and with the waldo throughout. like yeah. mm-hmm. i think they're, they're starting to suit up before waldo gets shot then they resume afterwards but mm-hmm. Cooper walks in in that tux. Yep. And then Ed's got his sort of like cheesy suit with his bolo tie. I love that. I, I know. love that suit. Well, also Ed's really uncomfortable, but then at the end, Cooper's like, Ed, the suit's great or whatever. Yep. Like, and Cooper, uh, and Ed is so he's pleased like, oh about man, that. good. He's so pleased about it because Cooper comes in looking sharper than anyone in Twin Peaks has probably ever looked. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah, it's really good. But then he makes Ed wear a hilarious wig and a mustache. I know. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, traveling as oral surgeons. Yep. Um. There, there's a bunch of really great, uh, great. Speaking of the noir influence, I guess a lot of great kind of cartoon inflected noir dialogue when Ed and and Cooper show up at one at uh, at One Eyed Jacks. Oh, when they first talk to Blackie. Yeah, they first talk to Blackie. And she says, uh, "You look like a cop." To to, uh, to Ed, and then Cooper's like, and I'm Cooper's a cop. like, I'm a cop. And then Ed just sort of delves into this crazy mixed metaphor nightmare because well, he he's says, like, what are I you doing? And he goes, I had a gas station. And then Cooper looks at him and he goes, I'm an oral surgeon. And she then, picks up immediately with the, like. Yes. And she, what does she say to him after that? She says something so like. about how she's got a car that has, yeah, like, a, needs a root Needs some work or something. Like yeah. yeah. And he goes, I was hoping you'd need some gum work because I was hoping to get a look under your hood, which is. Well, I mean, terrible. It's so bad. It's the worst. But it's also the worst. Really like good. it's because her answer is really sharp. Like he says something yeah, really she's dumb. Much sharper, she picks yes. it up in the exact yes. way that sort of mm-hmm. like a femme fatale style exactly. noir character would. Right. And then he stumbles through it. She still buys he just it. Bulldozes through it. Yeah. she's kind of she's, she's kind, kind of like, dodging she, around. Well, she's it, just like you know? you're all right. And then she yeah. walks over. Then Cooper's exactly. just like you did good. Like he yep. just like yep. He's like we at least we passed through that. But like he's mm-hmm. yeah. He gives he gives him the thumbs up basically. Yes, exactly. Um. Does a whole lot more happen? Oh, they end up, they oh, <laughs> good like Cooperism earlier is that he just says they're going to be gambling with ten thousand dollars of the FBI's right. money. He gives Ed three hundred of it to start, and then says, "Oh, when I when I play with the bureau's money, I try to Bring give him a ten of ten to fifty percent return on investment." Yeah. Yep. Yeah, uh, of course. But then they just he's playing blackjack, and then Jacques Renault shows up mm-hmm. to deal. And that's basically all that happens, right? They're just like, oh, you're Jacques. Yes. Uh, there, there's not really... That's kind of the end of their thread in the episode. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so 
there's a there's a scene at the Great Northern with the Icelanders singing more with Jerry, and we've already I guess mentioned this. They want to have a uh, a party. Oh right, so that was w- one more of the sort of. There's not a lot that comes out of that in this episode, but the screws are definitely tightening because yeah, by but- complete happenstance, half of the cast of this show is convening on One Eyed Jacks for right. the finale. Yeah, because and- the Horns and the Icelanders are going there. Audrey's already there. Cooper and the entire sheriff's department, basically, no, the bookhouse boys mm-hmm. are all there. Jacques Renault is there, like so. Something is obviously going to go down for sure next week. And then also, Ben calls Josie and implies we need Catherine at the mill when this all goes down, right? Which is, you know, right. uh, connects a lot of these. Th- well, these are things we already knew were connected, but it, right. it but connects it, them it more directly. And there's then, a life insurance policy. Everyone exactly. is going to be basically out of the country. The mill then, is going to burn down with with Catherine inside of it. And as that is happening, Josie is sitting next to Hank, right? Um. All right, so I guess the other remaining big weird thread from this episode that has gone unmentioned by us so far... The Maddie stuff? Yeah, Maddie, Donna, and James executing this totally crazy plot to dress Maddie up as Laura and fool Jacoby into thinking that Laura's still alive or that he's hallucinating or something. Right. uh, And he needs to go out and meet her. I thought... I had forgotten some of the stuff right at the end of this episode and the very Mm -hmm. beginning of this of the of this of this thread in this episode really didn't have me interested. I was like, oh, this cheesy cheesy stuff. But once we actually get to Maddie being on the phone, acting like Laura, and seeing Jacoby's response to it, and then especially when it cuts back to her after she's made the phone call to him, yeah, and she, just switches yeah. back into Maddie's voice, I was like, oh man, yeah, that was a that really was a crazy strong, moment. Like, really yes. good, definitely, because both those voices sound really natural, and they both come from the same actress, which mm-hmm, is obvious, totally obvious and dumb to say, but like, yeah. It it had made like because as Maddie's been in the show, she sort of just becomes like a weird doppelganger for Laura in my brain. Mm-hmm, yeah, and then having that actress basically play both characters inside of the same camera shot was a really good reminder that they are actually two completely different people, and yes. like the contrast between them is for sure pops right. Well, there. and the, the contrast, yes, the contrast is allowed to be as stark as it is because. Uh, you kind of glossed over this, I guess, because it wasn't as interesting to you. But the oh, I, well, I didn't the stuff at the beginning of that whole sequence oh, no, where stuff... we hear Laura's actual voice. Oh, you're right. Sorry. Fictionally I, actual my, voice. I totally just backfilled a ton more story into my brain of this episode than what was actually there. Because the early stuff is them listening to the tape. Right. I was thinking that there was another stupid scene with them in the diner together. But there were already two of those. So there was not a third one. Uh of them all planning stuff in the diner. That was the that was the previous episode. Well, they're, the episode they're planning stuff in the living room. Yeah, no, and this is the yeah. living room, but they're listening to Laura's tape, which, yes, is, which exactly. is really good. There's actually a really I liked. There was a moment I liked in as they were planning stuff in the living room that se- felt uncommon for me in Twin Peaks, and maybe I'm just not remembering other similar shots. But as they're listening to this tape, the it cuts to a shot from the adjoining like dining room or foyer, I guess mm-hmm. into them listening to the tape and they're all the, the, you just, it's just a really big shot. You see so mm-hmm. much of the interior of the house and them all the way at the other side of the house off to the right, very small because right. they're far away. And it, it created a really, really intense sense of perspective that I don't remember this show doing a lot. It uses a lot more kind of television style mid Close and mid. I think the shots. Lynch episodes are the ones that are more likely to have wide shots, which, but this usually not. There's a lot of like shoulder up shots mm-hmm. and waist up shots, but yeah. like, 
I only noticed that because when I was going to find stills for episodes, which I do every week, mm-hmm. the David Lynch episodes are ones where I end up finding way wider and more deliberately composed mm-hmm. shots that have whole bodies in frame. And right. then a lot of the other episodes are like facial close-ups and stuff. Yes, so for sure. it, having that pulled back empty house, it did totally stand out. Yes, I liked it a lot. Uh, and then also the other thing that was notable to me about that scene is that this is, to my memory anyway, and tell me if I'm wrong, this is the rawest stuff we get straight from Laura's mouth, right? By this point, we've heard a lot yeah, of, so. a lot about her double life and a lot about sort of the darkness that she carries around with her. But I think this is the most direct version of that we ever yes. get in her own voice. I think that's true because we've like we've heard Jacoby listening to other tapes, including, I guess, tape seven that was in the coconut, maybe. He's, he has other – because Laura mentions his coconut. Yes. And he, we've seen him listening to tapes as, out of his coconut before. But, like, it was the, like – James is so sweet yes, conversation and yes. stuff as opposed to this, which is like, mm-hmm. woof. Yep. This stuff is sort of like a confirmation echo of some of the stuff that Jacoby was saying to Bobby last episode right. also. But like, again, this time, like hearing it through her mouth instead of hearing it through a filter yes, is crazy. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then Maddie ends up just directly quoting a bunch of that stuff yep. to, to Jacoby for authenticity. Man, um, before all of that stuff happens at night, at night, it's that teeny tiny shot of Maddie sneaking out, and Leland is just sitting on the couch, like totally ruined in again the most like noir like zone you can ever have. Yeah, that shot's just great. That's yes, all for sure. Also, the shots of of um, Maddie. This this could be. I don't know how intentional you can make this because it feels really specific, but all the shots of Maddie wearing the kind of big flowing clothes that mm-hmm. lower work makes her look really ill at ease and not comfortable in that clothing. She just looks like she's not carrying it off well. Right. Which is funny because obviously she's the exact same actor- actress who plays right. so is Laura that, wearing that Hopefully stuff. that's a deliberate choice of her playing Maddie, playing yeah. Laura, and just mm-hmm. being, having weirdly awkward yeah. poses. Yeah, she just looks yeah. not comfortable in it in a way that I is was really potent for me. That... That scene when they are down by the gazebo, they deliver Dr. Jacoby the VHS cassette of Laura holding the newspaper. Mm-hmm. That's another scene where we're like, okay, we're rolling into what is clearly the season finale because not only is Bobby weirdly just there, he's weirdly there watching them, but someone is also watching, watching him. Bobby, I know that was an amazing moment where it pulls back and you realize, oh, it's Bobby. Here's Bobby. It's from his perspective. Then it pulls back even more to the shaky cam. Right. Where thing. then Bobby comes into that frame and you're like, yeah. okay, what? Yeah. So there's, we have Jacoby watching a video cassette of Maddie in disguise as Laura, who is being watched by Bobby, who's being watched by a mysterious other figure. Mm-hmm. Like who ends the, that ends the episode, that figure's yeah. perspective. Right. Because Jacoby, they they tell Jacoby to go somewhere, which is presumably far away. Yeah, and, but he IDs the corner of the gazebo in the shot, and he right. goes to where Maddie is, where where he thinks Maddie is, which is then also where Bobby is, and also where this mysterious lurker is. So, which must not be that far from his office because because they're all right they, there. They yeah. just they just it's like yeah. a block away or something. Right. It seems like a couple blocks. Yeah. Um. But then yeah, the episode ends with mysterious <laughs> with. That's a disguised person being uh, observed by two people. Yeah. And that's the episode. That was the end of that episode. Yeah. And, um, oh, and Bobby sabotages uh, James's bike. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he says some cheesy line to it. I can't remember what it I was. I can't remember what it was either. It was basically just like, 
rest in peace or something just like oh man that reminds me there's actually uh, oh, he says say goodbye james yeah that reminds me though jacoby when this as this happens J- jacoby's in the middle of watching invitation to love yeah and there's just an, there's a line with with very little context but i think it's it must be montana or someone talking am i remembering this correctly because the line remember. is jade here's to old times should all the acquaintance be forgot and that's the whole that's the whole line <laughs> It's just the exact kind of ridiculously <laughs> cheesy oh, one-liner really that, you know, you could insert into any similar yep. program given the context, yeah. Also, you could have that line come out of the mouth of Leo or Bobby because immediately after this, <laughs> someone know. shoves something into a gas tank and says, say goodbye, James, then yep. jumps over a fence or something. <laughs> exactly. So. Yes, it's true. Um, you want to do some reader mail? Yeah, we should. So Jerry Salinas writes... Hi, in case you missed it, I wanted to mention another noir connection. The insurance agent who came to see Catherine Martell this episode was named Neff, after the character of the same occupation in the classic noir from d- film Double Indemnity. It's a good observation. Oh, awesome. That's a, that's a great Billy Wilder movie. Um, without turning this into a discussion of the character motivation in that movie, this Neff also seems to be getting himself drawn into treachery of some kind. To throw in a question, what do you think of the film noir influence on the series as a whole? Jerry Salinas. I like it. I love film noir. It feels like it ebbs and flows from episode to episode. For sure. Some feel like they embrace more of the sort of TV soap stuff. Mm-hmm. Some yes. are just David Lynch episodes, which have noir stuff, but have so much of his own feel. And some like this episode and a couple episodes back feel very much like the director is deliberately trying mm-hmm. to yes. take advantage of like the style of the show and the opportunities available to them to be, to make it to just pump it up. Definitely. And one of the cool things about watch about watching a show like this now, or I guess watching any show now is that you have access. It's such easy. It's so easy to gain access to thing, to the, the motivations of those directors in a way that would not have been if you're watching the show at the time when I suspect most people didn't even think of TV episodes as things that have individual directors even though they're credited you just don't think of a tv episode in that way what and often when i'm looking up an episode on wikipedia before we record the podcast i'll notice that there will there's quotes on the wikipedia page from the director who in some interview or some book or something um says something to the effect of oh yeah i was really influenced by like these old classic film noirs for this episode and i really wanted to get you know some evoking shots in and and so on and so on that stuff's all really cool uh, let's see what else we have here. Um, so <laughs> someone writing in as Dale Cooper says, concerning that Gorbachev story you told, it came from a book by Brad Dukes called Reflections, an Oral History of Twin Peaks. It's a collection of recent interviews with the Twin Peaks cast and, crews, uh, cast and crew. Uh, here's another one you can share with your listeners. In the book during an interv- interview with Angelo Badalamenti, the show's composer, Angelo reveals that the one time he worked with Paul McCartney, the former Beatle punched him on the arm for his contributions to Twin Peaks. Back in 1990 or 1991, Sir Paul was scheduled to play a concert for the Queen on her birthday. However, she ducked out very early in the performance, and when Paul asked her where she was going, she simply said that she must find out who killed Laura Palmer. World <laughs> leaders were apparently just obsessed with Twin Peaks. Yeah. Oh, this was written by Matt Humphrey, host of the Twin Peaks podcast. Okay. This is another uh, podcast oh, that awesome. talks about Twin Peaks, a little different than ours. Um, but yeah, you can look, you should also look them up on iTunes if you're interested. Um, this book actually showed up at my desk the other day, and uh, I didn't realize why. And uh, my girlfriend Sarah actually just bought it from me off Amazon. Oh, cool. So now I have I have this book. I was out of town, so I haven't had a chance to even look at it yet. But um, it's got a really beautiful cover that is um, that uh, it is the location from the opening shot of Twin Peaks 
um like the city sign yeah where the city sign is yeah but without the sign there which is the exact which is i have a picture almost identical to that which is the header image on our facebook page yes which i realized after i put it up is not from the twin peaks opening it's just my picture from my telephone yeah um so uh Anyway, it's a really beautiful book, and I'm sure there's lots of really good stuff in it. You mentioned looking at Wikipedia to find stuff, and I'm just going to read a thing off of Wikipedia oh, yeah. about go this for, podcast because I thought it was it was interesting. About um, this podcast? About, about this podcast. No, about this television show, Twin Peaks, about this episode. Um, just just a, a tiny specific fact that I hadn't thought about, which is uh, Deschanel, uh, who the director. directed this episode. I believe directed. I might have gotten that backwards. Yikes. No, I think you're right. Um, has noted that, that the episode, like most in the series, was filmed from a relatively short teleplay. He feels that this has contributed to its ability to, to develop characterization and subtextual inferences in addition to advancing its narrative. I think it's really Twin Peaks for as much as it has going on. It's interesting that the directors of the episodes cite specifically the screenplays for them are actually really short yes. and allow there to be a mm-hmm. ton of breathing room for characterization and Definitely. other interesting weird stuff because... When I think of Twin Peaks, I think of it as just being packed with plot, mm-hmm. or just being like things are happening all the time. But and, I guess and they are to, some, to right. some extent. But then if you think about the actual amount of dialogue that happens, as opposed to the amount of just characters sneaking around or responding to stuff or mm-hmm. interesting setups and just moments to breathe, it's got a lot. It's got oh, for it's, sure. It's dialogue per minute is actually way yes. lower than it seems because the dialogue itself is just, I guess, super potent in moving the story forward. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean. It's this is obvious, but that's clearly the thing that keeps the show noteworthy and in people's memories. Right. Right. I mean, there's a ton of shows from the era that are plot, 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 plot with all kinds of um, double crosses and, and things like that. I feel like that was really big. Yep. Right around that time. Right. Like mid late 80s, um, early 90s. Sure. Kind of serial television. But this show digs very, very deeply into the ins and outs of its cast yep. or, you know, of its fictional cast. Um, do you have anything to say in the spoiler section this week? I don't know if I do. I feel like I have something, so we should break for half a second and see if I do. I might say no. <laughs> okay. Uh, spoilers would, there might be no spoilers or there might be some, um, but we will, we will wrap this up anyway. And if you have not seen all episodes of twin peaks, as well as the movie fire walk with me, um, please don't continue on to the spoiler section just in case. I do have something to say. So All right, we'll there, there you go. So you can find us on Twitter at Twin Peaks Rewatch on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Twin Peaks Rewatch. Uh, you search for us on iTunes. Um, rate us if you like the show. Tell a friend if you do. Send us questions at Twin Peaks at IdleThumbs.net. All of this information and more is on our website at Twin Peaks Rewatch.com. And we will be back next week to discuss the season finale of this program i am really looking forward to that especially since it is a frost written and directed episode yep okay so this is a thing that's it's it's hard to know when the Wyndham Earl storyline actually entered the minds of the showrunners and ended up on the calendar for the show and when the writers of the show became mm-hmm. aware of it but when Audrey asks Cooper if he has any secrets and he says no, yeah. if you take the work of Twin Peaks as a whole, that is bullshit. <laughs> That's true. Because the whole Wyndham Earl thing, like with Wyndham Earl's wife, no, all you're that right. stuff, you're Cooper right. carries right. that around huge. Yeah. So like either that didn't exist at that point in the writing or that was just him fully, fully straight up lying to mm-hmm. Audrey. Mm-hmm. And that like 
Well, that was immediately what jumped into my mind when she said, do you have any secrets? And he said, no. I was like, two episodes from now is season yeah. two, mm-hmm. the middle of which is concerned entirely with this crazy, like, your complicated past life and your failings and stuff. And I know the other thing that I thought about then was um, the reader who wrote in last week or the week before who said that the Wyndham Earl storyline was Mark Frost's baby and that Mark Frost really likes sort of the human Cooper as opposed to the right. ideal Cooper. Yes, yes. So Cooper saying no in that scene I was I was wondering like is that intended to be a lie or right, is that right, just right. the writer who wrote this episode has internalized more of that side of Cooper and had Mark Frost written that scene he probably wouldn't have said no he probably would have had Cooper say something else that was sure. like I don't know if that's true that was my thought process or, I mean or you could imagine the sort of Frost version of Cooper still saying that and just not meaning it right yeah exactly like that, that either either that no was unaware of future events or it was complicated yeah. And that was that's that was the only thing that I had to mention in the in the spoilers. No, no, totally. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I did, it's good that my comments on that section of the podcast didn't not go unchallenged. Yeah, I didn't want to say anything about it during the main podcast because I was going, well, because like you know, well, <laughs> right. <sighs> and I mean, also, there's, I mean, you could one could imagine that this is directly relevant to the exact thing you just pointed out, right? That that Deschanel mentioned about how. Often these shows were fairly thin teleplays, yep. and and uh, this probably is not the case. This this potential or arguable discrepancy or bit of foreshadowing is not probably down to a thin teleplay. It's probably down to either unintentional planning choice right. or, or just miscommunication or continuity. Yep. But I think it is relevant, right? In that there wasn't there was probably less of a story bible. For this yes. show than there might be well, for some. The other things. thing that it then sort of made me think about though, it's that that one stupid no is that it's known that there was intended for for there to be an actual relationship arc between Cooper and Audrey that becomes romantic. Right. But Kyle yes. Lachlan said that is inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And people have wondered if it was just him saying it's inappropriate because of the age, or if it was because of uh his relationship with uh, with Laura Flynn Boyle at the time, right. and yeah. like th- like that's just cheesy gossip rumors that could be true or could be not. I don't know enough. I don't. I don't know, know enough. To, yeah. I just I just keep you hear all those things. Like yes. our forums are talking about it, mm-hmm. but then that makes me again like double down on wondering was that no really meaningful because it was intended to come back right when the Cooper and Audrey storyline was being seeded at the same time as the Wyndham Earl storyline, or was that no just totally mm-hmm. innocuous and happens to exist at the exact crossing point of what we know are a bunch of future storylines totally by chance. Right. Um, anyway, Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. That's all I got, I think. All right. I don't think I have anything beyond that. Oh, just the same old thing that I always say whenever anything weird involving Leland happens. That shot with Maddie leaving the house oh and God, Leland is there. talk about that? I, we talked about it for a second. I mentioned it and you were like, oh, yeah, cool. No, no, that, yeah. I don't know why I didn't talk about that more because that is one of my favorite shots in the entire show when, or this episode, I mean. Yeah, when she leaves and he's just in the background sad, but also it's he creepy. Just, yeah, he he's is just creepy. giving he's her silent. the eye. He's it is, silent. Yes. Like, but if I think if you don't know where the story is going, it's... Is he giving her that look because he's potentially just caught being he's awake just in the being living room? Weird, Leland. Right, but at the same time, when I saw that shot, that was when I wondered. Like, I can't remember what I ever thought when I was watching the show for the first time because it was years ago. Mm-hmm. But like that shot of Leland sitting down there when Maddie walks out has to be the first time for a ton of first time watchers that they were like, maybe Leland Palmer. Yeah, 
Right? Like, how can you not think something uh, fucking weird about that guy when that shot happens? Yeah, it's tough to say, right? I don't know. Yeah, because it's just like – it's because he's also just been demonstrated to be totally unstable. Right, but in, in the rules of like film noir cinematography, had Maddie had stayed in that shot – Leland would have turned and gotten up and been the most imposing figure in the entire world. You're right. Like the rules true. of cinematography yes. say that yeah. that guy is the villain of yes. that of that no, you're right. of that camera you're setup. Right. You're right. But uh, then like, it lingers on him after she leaves, and he sort of like curls back into himself and sort yeah. of like mm-hmm. sort of puts that role back off of himself again and just as a sad guy. But for a minute there, you're just like, what is ha- about to happen here? Have we talked about the fact that that uh, that Wise, what was his first name? Ray Wise. Ray Wise didn't know that his character was the killer. I didn't know that. Yeah, he didn't know that. He was really surprised. So that makes me really wonder how he was directed in these scenes because he is so unhinged and so unstable. Um, But he, you know, to him, he was playing it like someone who was just those things. Right. But it comes off amazingly. It comes off even more amazingly when you know what actually happens. Yeah, shots like this. Especially, or just out of control. Yeah, man, that shot. Yep. Yeah, I know that I bring it up every time. No, uh, it's fine. Every time Leland does anything weird, or anytime Leland it's has any notable. scene, yeah, because you're that, just like that character is never not incredible to watch. Yeah, yeah. All right. God, I I just had this <sighs> the the best and worst thought because I was like, oh cool, I can't wait until. Like I was like, oh man, Leland Palmer, interesting. That's actually kind of an exciting thing to see in the new. Oh, he dies in season two. His character is just gone before the show's over. Yeah, I'm so dubious of the new Twin Peaks. Oh, for sure. Not. I mean, I'm I'm into it just because it's going to be nine episodes of yeah. David Lynch directing or twelve or however many. And it probably is. if, but all of the cast members who I enjoy are no longer in the show or are no longer alive. Yeah. Yeah. It's. It's true. It's harsh. I mean, other than Cooper, other than Colin McLaughlin, mm-hmm. but like, oh man, the thing that that show that the, that it has going for it is that, and this, you know, I mean, maybe this isn't entirely a good thing. You know, maybe part of the character of Twin Peaks is because this wasn't the case. But like, one thing it does, I think, probably have going for it is that the t- television and show running has changed so much in the last 25 years mm-hmm. that it probably is going to be more consistent than twin peaks was. When it's also going to be more consistent right? just in Lynch is doing all the episodes. That's Yeah. And that's part of what I mean. Yeah. For, for one thing, I think the concept of a showrunner, especially in a serious dramatic program just means something a lot more than it, a lot more creatively than it did then. Mm-hmm. And also, yes, on top of that, Lynch is directing every episode. So we can imagine that these are going to be much closer to sort of a mini series or something yep. than a, no, than that's, a, it's funny to think about, of to think about Lynch's involvement in twin peaks as a show. I'm sure there are one-to-one examples of it, but it on average feels really unprecedented to me. It feels mm-hmm. like just in how the middle it lands, it feels like you either get yes, one or the other. Sure. Yep. Because like David Fincher directed the pilot of the American house of cards. Never directed another episode, but his mm-hmm. name is associated with it. J.J. Abrams directed The Pilot of Lost. Never did another episode of it. Yep. Martin Scorsese directed and, The and, Boardwalk and, Empire, whatever. But Lynch just keeps coming back. He writes every now and then. He directs some yep. episodes. Uh-huh. It's true. And, and then he and, leaves to make a feature film and then comes back. Totally. And it's interesting. I mean, Fincher gets, I think, disproportionate 
credit probably for House of Cards, right? I mean, he said Bo Williams, Bo, is the name Bo, of the guy? Bo Williamson, or something. Yeah, Williamson, the guy yeah. that is clearly actually yeah, he's head the showrunner, writer's room, and the showrunner of yes. that entire show. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens a lot. I mean, Scorsese and Boardwalk Empire, the names get like as soon as their name is attached, you get most of the well, public. They're also ba- the executive producer credit on the close of every yeah, episode. Yeah, I know, but what yeah, does no, that that's mean, what I mean. Right? Though like, I yeah. mean, like, it just cements for, that. for a relatively small investment of their time. The show gets a huge amount of cachet and ongoing association with a big name. Yep. Whereas, yeah, as you say in Twin Peaks, I mean, Lynch definitely his involvement really dropped a lot in the second season, mid- middle of the second season. But he was far more involved yeah. on an ongoing basis than like a lot of these other cases episodes are with the big and, star directors. Yeah, it's 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 interesting to see. It it sort of feels like one he probably just wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. But the more sort of callous version is people didn't realize that you don't have to. Yeah, probably right about that. Yeah, so like yeah. he could have just directed the pilot. Like if if this show happened now, he could just direct the pilot and then just make mm-hmm. money off it forever, and then like do what he already did, which is then direct some weird Japanese TV commercials sh- uh, featuring the aesthetic of the show, and yes. be fine with the rest of his life. No, it's true. You're right about that. But uh, it's cool that he shows up for what three or four episodes in season two. Mm-hmm. I think. Anyway, whatever. All right. You want to call it there? Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to. No, no, no. No worries. I did not mean to continue talking about Twin Peaks on this Twin Peaks podcast. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening. We will be back next week to talk about the season finale. Yep. See you guys.